Support for Industry Focus comes from Active Campaign. If you have a growing business and you want to acquire more customers, then you need Active Campaign. Their solution goes beyond marketing automation, getting the right type of message to the right person at the right time. For a free trial, go to activecampaign.com/fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. We're talking about healthcare today, April 4th. My name is Christine Hargis, and one of the Motley Fool's expert healthcare contributors, Todd Campbell, is joining me on the phone. What's going on, Todd? Hi, Christine. How are you today? I am doing great. I'm about to head on vacation tomorrow, so today is my Friday. Oh, fantastic. That sounds like a lot of fun. You going to do something somewhere nice and sunny? Hopefully. I've been seeing in the forecast a lot of rain for California and Hawaii, which are the two places that I'm going to, but I'm hoping it's temporary rain where maybe it's a couple of raindrops at like 4 p.m., but the rest of the day sunshine. We'll see. You'll bring the sunshine wherever you go, right? I hope so. (laughs) That (laughs) certainly hasn't been the case in Alexandria lately, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, it's typical for April, right? Yeah, April showers. Anywho, so exactly. Uh, Japanese drug maker Takeda announced on Monday that they're looking at buying rival Shire, sending shares of Shire higher and Takeda lower. Is that's a very typical acquisition announcement uh, reaction. Although this wasn't quite an announcement yet that the acquisition is happening, it's just an announcement that they're thinking about it. Todd, what do you make of this? This is a great fun because we actually get to talk about some stocks that aren't U.S. centric stocks necessarily, right? I mean, you and I and, and probably most of our listeners don't spend a whole heck of a lot of time thinking about Takeda, <laughs> and uh, and maybe we should be, right? Yeah. Because I mean, you know, this is a you know g- global health company, and it's it's been around for almost as long as the United States of America. <laughs> That's how long this company has been around. So it may be a little bit surprising that we don't talk more about it. Um, one of the things I think that is interesting, since we are talking about you know a couple foreign companies here, you got Takeda, which is obviously a Japanese company. You got Shire, which is a UK-based company. There are some uh, rules that apply in the UK that don't apply here in the United States. And the rule called Rule 2.7 of the UK City Code on Takeovers and Mergers basically applies to everything in the UK. Um, if you're seriously thinking about making a bid for a company then you actually need to disclose that, I think it's like 28 days prior to um, an offer being made or walking away from the deal. Um, and that, the idea there is that it gives all shareholders equal uh, insight into whatever discussions may be going on between companies. Now, Takeda has not talked to Shire's board as of the time of their announcement that they're thinking about uh, making a bid for Shire. So they, there's nothing firm on the table that's been presented. But like you said, that was enough uh, to send Shire shares soaring, You know, I think 17% on the day, and to cause Decatur to tumble a little bit. Yes, and we should get a firm decision by April 25th. Essentially, what their Monday announcement did was start the countdown timer. Right, right. And April 25th is either a, uh, they, if they make an offer, then it starts another clock. Um, it doesn't like it, the, the the decision by Shire's board doesn't need to necessarily need to come on that day, but that's the day that Takeda would have to make the offer. 
Right, exactly. And so what investors are considering now is, does this acquisition make sense? And can Takeda pull this off? This is a company that has a lot of debt on one hand, but as we mentioned, they're based in Japan, and it's a lot easier to get relatively cheap financing in Japan than it is pretty much anywhere else in the world, particularly when it compares to the United States. For example, companies like Takeda can typically get financing for around 0.34% on their debt, which is far below what blue-chip U.S. companies typically pay, which is more in the neighborhood of 3.8%. So even though Takeda has quite a bit of debt already, $11 billion, it is potentially more doable because of the fact that they are based in Japan than it would otherwise be. And the company also, Christine, is a little bit on, on a little bit better financial footing than it was, say, two or three years ago. They've they've actually got leadership in there now that's doing a good job and sort of carving out some costs and trying to make this company a little bit more profitable. And that's one of the reasons that you saw their their actual their earnings last year grew at a much faster pace than their revenue did. So that's giving them a little bit more flexibility to do some deals too. They they're like we mentioned, they're out they are a global company. They have sales in 70 countries. As a matter of fact, about 70% of their workforce is actually outside of Japan. Um, and they have their goal is to get even bigger. And they particularly want to increase their exposure to the United States market, which makes sense, right? The US is the biggest market in terms of drug spending. And Shire would do that. I mean, Shire gets more than two thirds, I believe, of their sales in the U.S. market. So, so that's a plus. Um, they may also find a willing seller in Shire because if you remember, you know, you and I talking about this back in what was it 2015 or or something like that. Um, Shire was in play with AbbVie trying to acquire it. AbbVie tried to buy them for 54 billion and um, eventually ended up walking away because tax inversions fell out of favor. Um, U.S. basically put put a stop to those. Um, so you could find end up uh, finding a, a willing seller. But like you mentioned, you know, we're not sure if this deal could get done because Takeda is actually smaller in terms of market cap than Shire. Uh, it does a little bit more in, in revenue. I think, you know, depending on how you look at currency exchange, it's probably around 16 billion or so uh in in u.s sale uh, in um in dollar terms of sales where shire does about 14 billion um and, but the, if you include the debt that shire has now you know you're talking about a deal that's like 60 i think shire's enterprise value is like 66 billion so so this would be more like a merger than it would be necessarily a takeover which does make this kind of unusual. And I think it falls into the broader story that we've been talking about of atypical M&A. We've seen a lot of somewhat unusual deals either being announced or being considered. For example, earlier this week, we heard that Walmart might be considering something with Humana, whether that is an acquisition or it could end up just being a partnership. But that is, I think a couple of years ago, we would have been scratching our heads like, what? This is coming out of nowhere. But when you consider other deals that have been announced recently, like CVS and Aetna and Cigna and Express Scripts. Uh, this seems to me just another example of the potentials for M&A really expanding into areas that might have otherwise seemed unusual. Yeah. And, you know, the timing of this may not be that bad either when you think about it, because Shire, Shire, Shire sales, hard to say, um, are actually the share price has fallen about 30 percent, not including the recent spike in them. Um, because of some generic concerns and some slowing top-line growth. They're going to go from double-digit growth to um, or high single-digit revenue growth to uh, mid-single-digit revenue growth this year. And earnings, actually, after growing 
um, 16% last year at Shire uh, are expected to actually pretty much flatten out this year because of some expenses that they have. So, you know, you've got a company that has the share price has fallen. It's trading at, I think it's trading at only like uh, 10 times, something like that, forward, um, forward earnings. So, you know, Takeda might be looking at this and saying, well, if we are going to strike and try and do a big deal to boost that U.S. exposure, maybe this is not a bad time to approach Shire. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure Abvi, as you mentioned earlier, is still looking at Shire and wondering whether they might want to step in here. Pfizer also has been mentioned as a company that might potentially want to acquire Shire. So we'll see how this all shakes out. If a deal co- does come to fruition, that will make this the biggest Q1 for acquisitions in more than a decade, according to Bloomberg, which is pretty incredible to think about. And we'll be sure to keep everybody posted. Yeah, well, there's one more thing before we jump, um, Christine. Uh, investors in Shire or considering Shire might want to recognize that Shire has already announced plans to try and spin off its um, ADHD medication business, its neuroscience business, so that it can focus on its rare disease business. So you've got that dynamic at play here, too, with Shire trying to figure out, you know, how to get the most, I guess, value out of its rare disease business, which theoretically by investors should be should be priced more expensively, maybe, than it is today. Um, so there's that in play. And also, don't forget that Shire went out and bought Bexalta in 2016 with a $32 billion deal. And as a result, they had to take on a bunch of debt. So they've got about $19 billion in debt. So if you're looking at and scratching your heads and going, wait a minute, why is the market cap of Shire only $44 billion now uh, when the deal didn't get done at $54 billion three years ago? Uh, that's because the enterprise value is actually $66 billion because of the debt. So you got to keep that in mind as you're trying to figure out what price Shire could trade up to. Yep, that's a great point. Support for Industry Focus comes from Active Campaign. If you have a growing business and you want to close more sales, then you need Active Campaign. Their solution goes beyond marketing automation, getting the right type of message to the right person at the right time. Stop sending blast emails. With their smart tools, you can dynamically show different content in your messages depending on your contact's info, interactions, social data, and interests. Identify, nurture, convert, and retain more customers with Active Campaign. For a free 14-day trial, go to activecampaign.com slash fool. Also, for our Fool podcast listeners, they're offering the second month free with sign-up. That's activecampaign.com slash fool. A stock that's covered frequently on Fool.com but hasn't made its way onto industry focus until now, Alchemies, the ticker is ALKS, received a refuse-to-file letter on Monday regarding their drug ALKS 5461 for major depressive disorder. This is not a good look for the company. A refuse-to-file letter is not a rejection, but rather the FDA handing back the application to a company and saying that they can't evaluate it in its current state. How did Alchemies mess this one up? It's like a slap on the wrist, really, right? You know, it's like you sent, you submitted this to me. I'm not going to look at this. This is this is not the report that you were supposed to submit. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. So we're talking about a antidepressant drug, and I want to thank Alchemies for not creating some weird, crazy, generic name that we're going to struggle to pronounce today. Fifty-four sixty-one is so much easier, right, Christine? Yeah, it's still awkward though. Fifty-four sixty-one. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're talking about a major dis- depressive disorder drug, MDD drug. Uh, it's a multi-billion dollar indication, um, and there really hasn't been a, a tremendous number of amount of innovation in this space. And there's a big unmet need because, you know, frankly, this, there's a lot of people who suffer from um, um, conditions that where antidepressants are prescribed, 
and in roughly one third of those patients uh, don't respond to the existing treatment options that are out there. So 5461 was considered uh, was in, considered in trials for use as, as adjunctive therapy. So, you know, if, if, if you're failed to respond to these other, uh, other existing treatments, maybe you could then go uh, and take 5461. One of the things that I think investors should recognize is that maybe this isn't so surprising because typically what the FDA likes to see is it likes to see three trials with two of them succeeding. There's usually a very high placebo effect in depression trials, Christine. So it's kind of expected that you're not going to get all three to succeed. But in the case of Alchemy's 5461, um, it actually only passed the efficacy hurdle on one of the three. Right. Back in 2016, it failed to meet the endpoints in two of these phase three trials. And so for a while, it didn't look like this drug was really going anywhere. But optimism was renewed uh, based on this third trial. And I'll also point out that that caused Alchemy's expenses to swell because they seemed to really anticipate that this one trial would be enough for the FDA to accept the application and then hopefully to grant approval for this drug. And so now that timeline has completely shattered. Yeah, I think what they were hoping for is there, there was a slightly different study design between the, between the first trial that failed and the third trial, which succeeded. Um, and, and that trial, basically what they did is they had, um, if you failed to respond on placebo, you were re-randomized in the trial. Um, and it, the idea was to try and tamp down on, on the high placebo effect that sometimes you get in these depression trials. And, and I think maybe that raised some question marks. It may also be that despite the fact that this was studied in over a thousand patients, so they had a pretty robust amount of, of uh, safety information they could provide to the FDA, even if they didn't have necessarily the efficacy from all three trials, they had all that safety information. There could still be some concerns from the FDA regarding the fact that one of the two active compounds in 5461 is uh, buprenorphine, which um, is an opiate agonist. So, you know, you have some concerns perhaps about what the uh, potential is for risk of abuse because they did, Alchemy has got to meet with the FDA and sit down and actually talk to them and figure out exactly what the FDA's concerns are. But one of the things that they did say in their press release was that they, sounds like they want some bioavailability data on buprenorphine in, uh, in patients. So perhaps they're just want to make sure that, um, that there's no concern there. Um, that and, of course, wanting the extra trial, it appears they want an extra trial uh, to, to back up that efficacy finding. Yeah, management sounded a little bit incredulous about this. They, they seem to not really understand what the FDA was asking of them and why it was coming now. They spoke to the long history of development of this drug and the rest of Alchemy's drugs. And basically, they said it doesn't make any sense that the FDA would do this now. I mean, this management team is clearly a little bit embarrassed by their refuse to file, and rightly so. Um, and, and they're not really providing a lot of clarity on what exactly the FDA is asking for. And I don't know whether that's because the FDA hasn't provided that clarity yet or if it's just management kind of reacting a bit harshly to this news. But all that is to say that it's not quite clear where exactly the company is going with this particular drug from here. Yeah, there's some egg on the face here, I think. And I think that their expectation was that, a, that the FDA has suggested it's more willing to consider 
um, novel trial designs and, um, and maybe I don't want to say set the bar lower because that's, that's not necessarily the case. It's not like they're trying to approve unsafe drugs, but maybe a, a more willing FDA. Uh, and I think that they maybe got caught off a little bit off guard by that. Um, one of the things that you'll have to have to remember as a listener is that, you know, you usually you have a type A meeting that follows the refusal to file that should occur within the next 30 days. So I would imagine the next time that they have an invest investor conference um, or a presentation on the website or whatever, you might want to turn, tune in if you're an Acme shareholder and see if there's any update on that from that type A meeting. Um, I, it's going to be interesting to see what they do now because these trials aren't necessarily quick. It's not like they can get this done within three months. And you know, one of the things that that raises the question of, well, what do they want to do with this drug? Are they going to continue to spend money on it, hoping for an, an, another positive efficacy readout when they had two that failed? And you know, I mean, the odds seem pretty high for a failure uh, in running another one. And the competitive landscape is going to shift a little bit too, Christine, because J Johnson and Johnson has a has a drug for resistant treatment resistant patients in phase three trials that should read out data this year and theoretically could go to the FDA this year. Yeah, that could completely change their competitive advantage. One thing that you mentioned that I want to go back to is this broader question of how lenient should the FDA be? Because this refuse to file letter kind of speaks to the, the way that the FDA is thinking about the approval process. And I feel like there's been a lot of scrutiny lately, especially with the change in administration, about how the FDA should consider atypical trial designs and stuff like that. And so you can see that there are other companies other than Alchemy's that reacted to this news because they're maybe considering a somewhat novel trial design or even just other companies that are working in the same space. For example, uh, intracellular therapies sold off about 7%, I think it was, on the news because they're also working on a central nervous system drug. It's a schizophrenia drug. And so because that might be similar to what Alchemy's is doing with their drug, there was a little bit of investor uh, fear that maybe the FDA won't be as accommodating as people had previously thought. Yeah, and I think, Christine, another takeaway for listeners might be that, you know, just because you have one positive phase three readout, don't assume that that's going to be enough to get you across the FDA finish line. And I think that sometimes we forget that as investors. We see positive phase three data and we immediately take the leap and think, ooh, commercialization opportunity, right? You know, 10 months, the FDA will say, okay, and, and this will be on the market, bringing all sorts of bucks in for the company. And uh, you need to really, you know, do your due diligence and do your homework. Look back at all the trials that were done. Make sure there weren't failures to go alongside with the successes and take a, take the management's comments with a little bit of a grain of salt because as you alluded to, uh, management was pretty bullish about their submission to the FDA um, and, and that might have, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, I don't want to say misled, that's not the right way to phrase it, but may have um, informed investors in a way that, that maybe investors didn't, shouldn't have been informed. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we wrap up, I, I think we should speak a little bit about what else is going on with Alchemy's because this is not a one drug company. They have several drugs that are already on the market and they do have a wider pipeline. So, Todd, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the company as a whole. I've actually been a fan of this company. I like the company. I think that in, they've got 
they've shown that they know how to help develop drugs. They get a lot of royalty income. They've been involved in some other uh, other really popular multi-billion dollar drugs and the development of them. Um, I, I think that they'll bounce back from this. Um, I just don't know where they're going to go with 2461 uh, um, from here. So I think that from an investing standpoint, maybe kind of wait, you know, on the sidelines here, see how this all sort of washes out, see what happens with the type A meeting and then make a decision of whether or not the stock's been beat up enough to whether or not it, it warrants going out and picking up a little bit of share, some shares. All right. Wise words. Some housekeeping notes before we sign off for the day. As we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to be out for the next week and a half or so. I'm heading to California for a little bit and then to Hawaii, Maui specifically. So next week's cast will be slightly different than usual. You can all look forward to that. Um, as usual, I'd love to receive any travel tips you guys have and want to send our way. Our email address is industryfocus at fool.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Christine Hargis, or if you have trouble spelling my name, you can find the show's account at MF Industry Focus. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Thank you.